Good morning. I don't know if you know this, but whenever uh, someone speaking comes up and the first thing they say is good, good morning, um, a lot of times what they're trying to do is just to figure out if the mic's working. <laughs> At least that's what I do, and I have to assume that everybody does that because, duh, doesn't that make sense? So glad to hear good morning on my end, and as soon as this thing works, because I'm not a tall person, and it's easier to see you when this isn't all the way up in my face. Um, but again, good morning. My name is Mike Weens, which you can see up there. I don't have a name tag, but it is right behind me up there. Um, and I am, I'm here to speak because Rob is currently, Pastor Rob Jacobson, he's the lead pastor here, he is at Faith Covenant this morning, kind of giving them an update, as Chris alluded to. So it is uh, my privilege, as it always is, it is more than a privilege, it's certainly an honor to be up in front speaking with you today. And this morning I get to start a new series and it's always a little, I wouldn't say intimidating. Um, for me, it's actually kind of fun to start a new series because essentially, no matter what I say today, everybody that speaks after me, which will be Rob, they kind of have to follow what I'm saying. So if I decide to go, you know, a different route than what Rob thinks, he's kind of in a position because then he would have to come up here and spend the first maybe 10, 15 minutes next week explaining what I did wrong. And... I'm probably not going to be here next week, so I don't care. <laughs> he can go ahead and do that. That's up to him. But I am today up here to talk about a new series to kind of open us up. And the series is called Sifted. And it is out of the book of Luke. And so what I'd like to do this morning to kind of prepare us is I would like to read the passage, the main passage that we're going to be talking about today. And while I'm doing it, what I would like you to do, and in this passage, um, Jesus is speaking. And what I would like you to do, a lot of times we read passages where Christ is speaking to his disciples or he's speaking to a large group or whatever he's doing, and we always put ourselves in the position of that other person. We always, if he's talking to Peter like he's doing this morning, we always pretend that we're Peter. Or if he's talking to a large group, we pretend that we're in that, that uh, large group. But this morning, I would like you to try and think through maybe what was going through Christ's mind at this time. When he was speaking to Peter in this situation, I just want you to try to focus on why Jesus might be saying this to Peter. So with that, I'm going to go to the book of Luke, and I'm going to go to Luke 22, and I'm going to start at verse 31, and I'm just going to read 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want to read that again just really quickly. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Would you pray with me really quickly just before we get started here? Lord, some of the things that we might talk about today might be a little bit difficult might be kind of hard to rehash some things maybe that we've gone through or maybe even to think about things that may be happening in our future. But I just ask today, Lord, that you are present and that you help us all to realize that despite anything that happens to us, that you are with us. Thank you for, thank you for your, your love. Thank you for your promise never to leave us. Please bless this morning, Lord, and may the words that I say be not mine but be yours. And I ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. 
Well, how many of you in here own a house? Yeah, exactly. Meredith and I were married in February, and we decided that it was about time that we buy a house. And we bought this house, and in the process of buying a house, uh, there are a lot of steps along the way. And our expectation is that those steps would be very much like this. They're just steps. You just kind of move along, right? You go through the first viewing. You look at the house. It looks perfect. It's right where you want it. It's got the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms. It's got all this good stuff. Perfect. You make an offer. They accept the first offer, right? And then you go through the walkthrough. You know, you accept that offer gets accepted. In fact, they agree to lower the price for you because they love you so much. And then you go through the walkthrough the night before, and you are amazed when you go through this walkthrough at how much larger that house seems because all their stuff is out. And it's so much cleaner than you thought it would be. They must have had a professional crew of cleaners come in and go through the garage, the house, the backyard. They obviously had a professional landscaper. After you bought it, come in, make that lawn look perfect. And they put a whole bunch of shrubs and plants that I don't know the names of, but they look pretty. And all that stuff took place. And then you go to the closing, and the closing takes three minutes, and you only have to sign your name twice. And then you get this house, you move into your house, and the first thing that you notice when you get in there is that they have actually added to the house. They have left furniture for you that you love. You're like, wow, thank you for leaving that. And then you decide, you know, you're going to do some renovations, and the contractors, they all show up on time, they all do what they're supposed to do, and they charge you half as much as the estimate. That is the dream, right? That's the expectation. So we, we're going to close on Wednesday this past week, and uh, everything up till Tuesday night when we did our walkthrough actually wasn't too bad. Um, well, a couple things along the way. We decided this was a little bit more of a, a little fixer-upper, you know, but, which, by the way, is a complete contradiction in terms because there are no little fixer-uppers. Every fixer-upper, it's kind of a big job. Um, it's not just throwing carpet down and some paint. Even if it was that, it would still be a lot more work than you think it's going to be. So we kind of knew that going in. Um, and, but we were still expecting when we went through our walkthrough on Tuesday night, you know, just viewing the house, make sure it's what we want, that we'd walk in and say, oh, it's very clean, awesome, that's, that's great. The lawn, perfectly manicured. Oh, they got all their stuff out tonight. We could actually put some stuff in here right now if we really wanted to. I'm sure everything's going to go perfectly. Everything's in its place and where it should be. Unfortunately, that's not exactly how it went for us on Tuesday. And instead of those thoughts, we had some other thoughts that started like this. Didn't they clean? And we looked at the yard and we said, have they mowed yet this summer? And then we looked inside the garage and we said, did they just take all of their stuff and put it in the garage? Because that's what it felt like. There was nothing clean about this place. Everything their garage was packed, and the lawn literally like this high and twice as thick. So we were a little disheartened, and we said, are we sure we still want this place? And I started looking at our realtor, and I said, what happens if we decide we don't want this place? Because it did not necessarily look like the place we had talked about buying. But he assured us, he said, let's just wait. Let me email or let me call the other realtor. Let me see if we can work something out. Okay. So we spent one night kind of thinking these dreams we had of this house were 
possibly going to have to be challenged a little bit, and our commitment to this house started to waver a little bit. We woke up the next morning, and uh, Meredith had the good, the, uh, I will say, the, you know, an opportunity. She had the good fortune of being able to go to work and maybe forget about it for a little bit. I did not. I was at home, and all I did while I was kind of cleaning our house a little bit and working on a few things for school was just think about the house. That's all I did for like four hours. So again, my faith and the commitment to this house started to waver a little bit. And then we got a call from our realtor. We're going to go and be able to walk through that house again at, at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock, and we're going to close at 3. Okay, great. So we got in the car. We went over there. We met him at three or 2 o'clock, and everything was indeed cleaned up. I should say their stuff. The rest of the house was not clean. The grass was still really long, but it was at least cleaned out. So faith came back a little bit. We're ready to close. We go to clothing. Clothing? We go to closing. Everything goes pretty well. Of course, you sign for like an hour and a half. Everything seemed to be okay. And then uh, the number that we were given for how much we were going to have to pay, you know, for our our, uh, closing costs and down payment, was a number we were comfortable with. In fact, we thought it felt a little light when we were told the day before. And, uh, and then the closer says, ooh, they didn't actually include six months of, in your escrow. All right, so how much is that? I'm thinking 75 80 bucks. I got that cash. <laughs> no, it was closer to 1000 So we give them the check we got from the bank, and I took out my checkbook and wrote that other check. Actually, it wasn't me. My wife took out her checkbook and wrote another check. So there was a little surprise there. We got to pay a little bit more money for the house of our dreams, right? So everything's good to go. We go to the house. Our faith is like, all right, we had to pay a little bit more, but everything's okay, committed committed to that house. And then we go to the house. We look around. Everything looks okay. We get kind of excited. We go buy some paint. We're ready to paint the walls. And we go downstairs, and my wife looks up, and she said, weren't there lights there? And I went, no, there were never any lights there. Come on, honey. You're making things up. And then I noticed in this fairly large basement that there was really only one light, one recessed light, 16 by 20. Yeah, maybe there were some lights. In fact, as we looked up on the ceiling and I noticed the three kind of discolorations in the ceiling that were equidistance apart, maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe like there were lights up there, maybe like track lighting that was shining right on those spots to discolor the paint a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe those were some lights that the owners apparently decided we didn't need and took with them. What else has gone from this house? We're kind of wondering. But we move on. I'll call the realtor tomorrow. We'll take care of this. Not a problem. Next morning, we wake up. I go to the house, start looking at some things, and we decide we needed to move the washer and dryer out because we needed to get some things behind there. And I look back there, and there's a hole in the sheetrock. What's that there for? Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe he accidentally bumped it with his knee and cracked a little bit. Oh, what's behind here? Oh, hey, a, couple of, a couple of garbage bags back there. A couple of Target bags. Apparently they decided to insulate with what was underneath their sink. Okay, I wonder what that is. Not sure right now. I'll phone the realtor. I'll just you know, ask him to see if they know anything. But then you know, your commitment to this house is starting to waver a little bit, even a little bit more. What else are we going to find? But guess what? We met neighbors, and these neighbors were awesome. In fact, there was a kid across the street, 17-year-old kid. He's pushing his, you know, pushing the mower, and I'm like, I got an idea. So I went over there, and I said, hi, my name is Mike. It's really nice to meet you guys. Would you mow our lawn? I'll give you some money. I'll let you, you know, get a little extra money here, put it in your pocket. 
said, sure, but you know, you should meet my dad. He really would want to meet you. Awesome. Go to meet his dad. Guy's name is Ed. Great guy. Salt of the earth. Wonderful guy. And he said, yeah, oh, you moved, yeah, you moved in right across the street. That's great. Uh, did they mention about the pipes freezing? Nope. <laughs> Didn't mention that. Didn't mention that at all. Commitment to the house. Starting to wait a little bit. He said, yeah, apparently uh, the pipes that go to the washer and dryer go to the outside of the house. Not outside the house, but in the wall. That's the outside wall. And come back in. And he said maybe three or four times over the course of those people living there, the pipes would freeze. And they couldn't use their washer dryer, so she'd call me and just, hey, can you help me? And then they would have to go to the laundromat to do all their laundry. Like, no, nope, didn't mention that at all. That's why there was the hole behind that. Again, faith, kind of going downhill a little bit, our commitment each step of the way. But yet, the whole time, we talk with everyone. We're kind of going through these things, and we basically end up deciding that we still are committed to this house. And those, all those little things, the lawn can be mowed, and the dirt can be cleaned, and the hole can be fixed. Well, after we put the pipes inside the house. But that hole can be fixed. We're still committed to this house. This process that we thought about at the beginning of moving through and having everything go so well, it wasn't so much like this, or as we'd hoped, like this. It went more like this, and it went like this, and it went like this. And certainly, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that in your life, right? How often does life just keep going up? Life is getting better and better. Our kids are perfect. That job, they double my salary weekly. It's awesome. The house never needs improvement. I go, go to bed at night, and I wake up, and there's new carpet. The hole in the corner where the dog was hanging out for a little while there, that's all cleaned up, and it smells a lot better. But it doesn't really go like that. <laughs> I've owned two other places before, but they were both, you know, one was a condo, one was a townhouse, and I've never really experienced this. It's been kind of entertaining, is the beautiful, nice way to put it. But the commitment to the house is what keeps you going. And for us, that end goal, what that house is going to look like when we're all done with it, which will, should be in 15 to 20 years. It's going to be awesome when we get there. We're going to love this house. But despite those things. You know, in our passage today, Simon, actually Peter, um, Simon was this kind of like uh, official name, so to speak, and Peter was his surname. It'd be kind of like, my name's Mike, but my real name is Michael. And he gets talked to by Jesus. And again, what I want you to think about is why Jesus is saying this. And I just want to go through a couple of these verses. I want to look at them, and I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes here a little bit and try to decide why is he telling Peter this. So he starts off, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. So if I'm going to break this down, the first thing I'm going to look at is the fact that Jesus is using his his like, given name, Simon, Simon. Now, if you're anything like me growing up, my mom called me Mike, but when there was a Michael coming out of her mouth, there was something wrong. Because it was never Michael. It was always Michael. And I always went, oh, garbage. Because <laughs> there was probably something I'd done earlier that day that I was kind of busted for. It's all right. Can deal with it. Jesus is calling him Simon. And there are some scholars here, not, not here, well, maybe here, but there are some scholars that would say that every time Jesus called Peter Simon, he had something incredible to say. But this is Jesus Christ. And my guessing is that every time he had something to say at all, there was something good to say. But in this situation, it's like he's trying to 
tell him, you need to listen here, Peter. So he said, Simon. And not only does he say it once, he says it twice. And again, scholars would tell you that whenever a name was used twice, it was, it was more a term of like kind of endearment, I love you, please listen to me. So it was more like Simon, Simon. And who knows if Jesus was doing something different. Maybe it was Simon, Simon. Or maybe it was Simon, Simon. Maybe it was like a pleading. But either way, you know that Jesus is trying to get his attention here. And trying to, and he's about ready to tell him something. So he tells them, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. That next part, those three words, Satan has asked. The thing that brings me comfort in that is that Satan had to ask. Because Satan had to ask God for permission. If you remember the story of Job, it was basically almost like a bet that God had with Satan. But Satan still had to talk to God about it. Satan still had to go to God. He just wasn't able to do things. And as we've certainly talked about before, and as many of you know, Satan's a liar, and he's a deceiver, and he's a murderer, and he's all those things. But he still has to ask God. And that brings me some comfort, because that means that my God, it means that the God of my creation and our creation is in charge. Satan has, ha- has to ask in this situation, has asked God to be able to sift Peter. So now we need to talk about sifting a little bit. All, and back then, sifting was a fairly common thing that most people would have known about. And the Lord here is talking to Peter and to the disciples together. This, now he's saying Simon, Simon, but he's not just talking to, to Simon here, or to Peter. He's talking to all of the disciples. And we know that because Simon has asked to sift you as wheat. And the you in there is not meant to be singular, it's meant to be plural. So it's almost like a southern, Simon has asked y'all to be sifted like wheat in that sense. So everybody he's talking to. So if he's talking to the disciples, you have to understand he's probably, in this sense, we can read it as he's talking to us. Simon has asked to sift you. Now, the sifting there is something that if you grew up on a farm or you know anything about wheat, you understand this process. Sifting is a process that basically has two parts to it, and or used to have two parts to it. Now it really just has one. It's called a combine. But it, back then, it used to have two parts. The first part was the threshing. And on the wheat stalk, they basically had two parts. There was the grain, and there was the chaff. And what you do when you thresh first is you're trying to loosen up that, that chaff. You're just trying to get it so it's not so connected. So the good stuff, the grain, stays, and then the, the bad stuff, the chaff, it, we're trying to get that loose a little bit. So a lot of times it would be on the ground, and you basically kind of hit it with a flail, or you you know st- uh, trample it in later years with animals, um, but you're just trying to get it loose. And then the next part is the winnowing, and the winnowing was interesting. What I read, and it's not like I know this, I mean, grew up in the suburbs, but what they used to do is they used to take the threshed wheat, and they would just kind of throw it in the air. I mean, it probably wasn't like, hey, hey. I mean, they probably had a process there too, but that was essentially what they were doing. The chaff was lighter than the grain, and it was light enough to the point that when they'd throw it in the air, if there was even a little bit of a wind going, it would blow that away. So when Jesus is talking to Peter here, and he's saying, or talking to all the disciples, and he's saying, Satan has asked to sift you. What he's really getting at there is he's, he's saying, Satan has asked to test you and to challenge you a little bit. And he wants to see if you are grain or if you are chaff. 
What are you worth? What are you made of? Where is your commitment? So he's been asked, Satan asked the question, I'd like to sift Peter and all the disciples. And that permission was essentially granted. And we know that because of the next verse. Because the next verse says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The two major parts to that, the first part, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Well, if permission wasn't granted to Satan, why does he need to be prayed for? If God says, no, you may not sift him, there is really no need because it's going to be okay. But he said, I have asked, and I have, Satan has asked, and permission was granted, is what we can read between the lines. But I've prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. So now we also know this, this is going to be a test of faith. This is going to challenge him in ways that he probably can't even imagine at this point. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. It's going to be a challenge. I have asked, I have prayed that you will be strengthened through this process, that you will, your faith will not fail, that your commitment will not go away on a smaller scale, just like my house. Our commitment will not fail. We will keep committed to that place despite the things that we find in all the little corners and all the little crevices and all the little places in that house that we didn't look at or that were covered up when we walked through. Your commitment. And Jesus is saying, I pray for you, Peter, that it will not fail. And then that last part's interesting. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Look at the, the second word there. And when. What doesn't it say there? doesn't say if and when. Maybe Peter doesn't catch that. Maybe the disciples don't catch that, but I do, because that tells me there's hope and that I can rest in that. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, you could say, well, and when you turn back, well, maybe what he's saying there is when you turn away from your faith. But the second part, strengthen your brothers. So we know And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He's not going to ask him to strengthen his brothers if his faith fails. We can assume, based on what we read, that what he's saying here is that when you come back to me, Peter, when your commitment returns, strengthen your brothers. So now I look at that passage, and what I want you to do for a few minutes is I want you to look back at the hardest times in your life when Satan was sifting you and sifting you and sifting you, I want you to think about, maybe you want to focus on one of those times. Maybe you want to focus on just two of those times, whatever that was. I want you to look at those moments, and I want you to decide, not decide, I want you to think about what is going through your mind and your heart. Not in a kind of altruistic, well, what was going through my mind is that this too shall pass. Because when you're in the middle of that garbage, generally speaking, you're just thinking about the garbage. How was your faith during those times? Last two or three years, I've had some interesting times. On a bigger scale, looking down upon my life, it wasn't necessarily things that you would look at and you would say, wow, how is he still standing? But there are certainly things that felt like sifting to me. 
Some of this started back when I was kind of early, mid-30s, and there was a loneliness that was kind of gripping my life. And some of that was not something I could control. I hadn't met the right person yet. I also wasn't really moving into a church community at that point. I was kind of by myself, deciding that life on my own was better than life with others and with community, which I know is absolutely from the devil. And it was difficult. And throughout that process, throughout some of that depression, throughout some of those days, that sifting felt more like kicking. It felt like every time I'd poke my head out a little bit to see a little light, I got kicked in the face. But it wasn't certainly a physical thing. I still had a job. I still had a house. I wasn't losing my car. My family was still there for me. It was just my own decision at those moments to go inward instead of pray and go find God and go find friends. That sifting was hard. Commitment to my faith was what kept me moving. A few years ago, and this part's a little difficult for me, so I'm going to try and skip right through it. A few years ago, a friend of mine that I teach with came you know, to me. She'd been to the doctor a few times. She said, I'm having some you know, problem in my lungs and some breathing. And the doctor said, it might be, um, it very well might be just some heartburn. And I said, you know what? I said, I've actually had heartburn before. And what you're describing sounds like it. I'm sure they'll, you know, you got a couple things you can do for that. Not a big, you know, not a big deal. Everything's okay. Life is good. Life continues to go up, right? Well, Lung cancer was not a good thing. 18 months later, she had passed. Throughout that process, the sifting was hard. Watching this truly mentor in my life go downhill so quickly, not so good. Sifting. Certainly more sifting on her end than on my end, but on my end, I just come out of come out of some depression. I've just kind of come out of some issues and very good friend of mine go downhill like that. What do you want from me, Lord? <laughs> Satan has asked to sift you, but I've prayed for you. Commitment to your faith. So we moved forward about a year later, and person I'd been working for, my principal, and this is not as bad, certainly, as that, but, you know, sifting. Person that I'd been working for for almost nine years, best boss I've ever had in my life. It's time for him to move on, go get another job. New person coming in, good principal, just different, different relationship. And it seems like that shouldn't be as big a deal. But the sifting there was hard because it was a different relationship. It was a different connection. It wasn't someone I could walk into and just talk about anything and just say, I'm dealing with this. Could I get some help and have trust and faith that that person would say, yes, I will help you. I will be there for you, Mike. It was someone that didn't know me. When you walk into a situation that you have a lot of security in, 
when you have a lot of faith in, that you know what you're going to get every day at work and it's going to be good, and now to walk into that situation and have no idea what's going to happen and have no idea if this next thing that you tell them might cost you in some way. That's not easy. I can't imagine a situation, and I had the privilege in this situation of knowing that my job wasn't at stake. I cannot imagine being in that situation and having to worry about every move I make or every sound that I make or every word that I speak may lead to my dismissal. Because that, not so directly, but certainly that happened to a number of my colleagues. Sifting, changing. It's not so much fun. So now I want to come back to Jesus here, and I want to say, why Why does he tell Peter this? Why does he tell all the disciples this? Why is he telling you this? I want to skip ahead to a, another chapter, still, or excuse me, another uh, book of the Bible. I want to skip ahead to John, and this is Jesus speaking again. And again, he's talking to the disciples, and he says something a little bit different here, but he really gives the same message. This is John chapter 16. Let's see it up there. Verses starting in verse 32. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The connection between these two passages for me is almost takes on kind of a life of its own because he's talking to all these disciples again and they have been together for almost three years and he's telling them and they have been through so much and watched Jesus heal and watched the absolute beauty that is Christ just before their eyes. And now he makes these comments. Time has come when you will be scattered They were together, and they're going to be separated, each to his own home, each to his own area. You're going to be by yourselves. You will leave me all alone, this man that they had pledged their lives for and will give up their lives for eventually is going to leave them too. It's going to be gone. Yet I am not alone. He wants to give them some understanding there. For my Father is with me. And then the line, the verse that, I think really, really brings home the point. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This is the why. I have told you these things so that you don't have to think about that thing. You don't have to think about lung cancer. You don't have to think about these things that so bring us down. You can think about me, and you can rest in me. You can have that peace. And I think at this point, Jesus is like, I want to give them some understanding, but I also want them to understand one thing. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a directive. It's not a might have trouble, may have trouble. Trouble will come, but it will be small. You will have trouble. You will be sifted. Things are going to happen to you. And we know that they did. He's talking to the disciples. There will be prison. There will be beatings. There will be death. And then the line, 
that I think sums up how we need to approach the future sifting. Because as much as you've been sifted in your life, there will be more. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what I'm going to find when I go over to our house this afternoon and I have to clean up some more. I have no idea what I'm going to find when I go back to work this fall. I have no idea who the next person in my life is going to be that's going to leave. You don't either. <laughs> but we are given this line. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And there is one part of that that needs to be understood. Two parts I want to talk about. One understood. Number one, notice he's not saying and promising that things will be better and will get better. There is no promise. You will lose your job, but you will find another one. No. You will be left by your friends. You will be left by your family in some way. They leave, they die, whatever. There is no promise that they will come back or that they will recover. There is no promise that this house will be perfect. There's no promise that your job will be there tomorrow, next week, next month. But the promise is in Jesus. That's a better promise. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's saying that no matter what happens to you on this planet, I am in charge. Satan had to ask me for permission to sift you. Satan is in my dominion, and he's asked to sift you. But I can almost feel God saying, I have faith in you, and I have prayed for you, that your faith will not fail. We can trust God because we know God's character. Because as life goes like this, God doesn't. God is right here the whole time, and he is praying for you, and he's asking for you to trust him. You know, as you look ahead at the rest of your day or the rest of your week, the rest of your month, the rest of your life, most people don't see the trouble because they don't want to. I don't mean that as like everybody's like Pollyanna got their head in the clouds. I just mean you don't foresee. I mean, I don't look at the rest of my week and say, oh man, you know what, Thursday's coming. I'm guessing Thursday there's going to be a flood. You know what? I go back to school this fall. I'm guessing that probably in that second day of school, they're going to find some discrepancy in my resume, and I'm going to be out of a job. And there was no discrepancy in my resume, but there might have been, and I might be out of a job. I can't see that coming. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what the next sifting process is going to be. But I do know God, and I do trust him. So I can walk into that situation no matter what it is and I can say, God has overcome the world. I can trust that because I can't trust anybody else. I love all of you. You know, I love this church. But I, I can't trust you like that. You can trust God. You can love people. But if you don't trust God first, if your commitment is not to God first, life is a lot harder. <laughs> because you've got to find something to put your feet on. You've got to find that rock that's not going to move, that will not be overcome. We bought a house. And unfortunately, I have to end on this. That house is not really around here. That house is up in Andover. 
Meredith's parents live up in Cambridge will be a lot closer to them. My parents live in Brooklyn Park will be a lot closer to them. My sister and brother-in-law live in Lionel Lakes will be a lot closer to them. And my very good friend lives in Shoreview will be a lot closer to him. It was a decision that we made because of how it fit and what we felt God telling us to do. And we have no idea what the rest of that life is going to bring. But we can trust God. I trust God first. He has overcome the world. He is the one that I can rest on. Not the house in Andor. <laughs> Not our next church community. God. And I pray that you, as you walk through the rest of your life, the rest of your day, the rest of your week, that you will see that God is the only thing that can be counted on. Rest in that and trust him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, sifting is not fun. Sifting is painful and is not something that we look forward to. But we do know this, that we can rest in you and we can trust you. We know that you have promised to be there for us, not promised us that things will eventually work out perfectly, but that you are perfect. Give us faith, Lord, that can move mountains. Allow us to trust you. Allow us to almost embrace whatever sifting comes next because we do know that that sifting will strengthen us. That it will bring us closer to you and to your will for our life, Lord. Whether it's our job, whether it's our relationships, whether it's a home, allow us in that sifting to see you first and to trust you. Thank you for a beautiful day and thank you for hope in each and every situation that even though we will have trouble, you are there with us and you have overcome the world. And let us rest in that, Lord. In your name, amen.